pretty good for a stage full of white people, yeah. right? Yeah, hey, that's Eric on sax. Give it up for Eric here. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Hey, you know, over the last several weeks, as this 9-11 anniversary has gotten closer and closer, and I don't know if I've just been thinking about it more, but it seems like I've been noticing a lot of messages and bumper stickers and TV documentaries and specials looking back to that Tuesday morning in 2001. And almost in every one that I've watched, every candlelight vigil, every, every politician's speech down at Ground Zero, the same message is repeated over and over, little phrases like this, never forget, always remember and, you know, it, it seems like, why, why do you have to tell us that? I mean, for a lot of us who lived through that, that seems absurd. I mean, remember the world stopped. Whatever we were doing was just kind of set aside for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. And the idea of forgetting those images of planes crashing into buildings and buildings falling and innocent civilians and brave first responders perishing kept us kind of glued to our TV sets for hours and days. The idea of forget that, 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 that seems ridiculous. Who could forget that? But the truth is, just be honest, Given enough time and enough space, we do tend to forget really important days, don't we? I mean, I would guess that a lot of us would have a hard time without Googling it, all right, naming a few important days, like the day that will live in infamy, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. What day was that? December 7th, 1941. Good. All right, I got a history teacher over here, all right? It's gonna... How about this? The assassination of John F. Kennedy, November 22nd, 19. 63, all right? I remember this day uh, vividly, uh, the day the space shuttle Challenger blew up. Remember that? January 28th, 1986, right? All right? The, the world stopped those days, folks, right? right? And the, the idea or the memory and the experience of living through 9-11, that just the idea of that slipping to the side right now, it just seems absurd, Especially with over the last 10 years of all the military action that's been going on and the last couple of months, the killing of bin Laden. But the truth is, all right, given human nature, given the busyness of life and the pace of life, we do tend to push aside even important events and days where the world stood still. But, but as bad as that is, uh, there's another tendency that I think is even worse, and that is to rewrite history. I'm not talking about going back and studying history and investigating into past events. I think that's great. We should keep doing that. I'm talking about this thing called revisionist history. You know what I'm talking about? Leaving out inconvenient or unpalatable truths or facts or even inserting fictional or dishonest information, especially if the real truth makes us feel uncomfortable or makes us kind of, you know, feel intrusive into our current situation. So a lot of us, we just rewrite history and Say something happened different than what had actually happened. Then we can keep on doing what we want to do and feel less guilty about it. And don't shake your head and act shocked. You know that's true. Right? I mean, uh, we, we've, all, we've all heard all the conspiracy theories, haven't you? Everything from 9-11 was actually planned and carried out by our own government. All the way to all my life, someone has tried to tell me this. Right? There's a whole movement in the world trying to prove that the Jewish Holocaust never happened. It was a hoax. But, but I've been to ground zero. Anybody else? Right, we've seen that, all right? right? I, I've been over to Poland and, and Germany. I've been to Auschwitz several times, right? It, it happened. It happened. You can try to change history, but, but it happened. And 9-11 happened, and it changed our world forever. But do you have any doubts? Be honest today. Do you have any doubts that 100 years from now or 500 years from now or go way out, 2,000 years from now, when people talk about 9-11, there's a good chance they will describe a very different day than what we lived through. And I bring that up for a couple of reasons, all right? First of all, there's a famous saying that says, those who forget the past are destined to repeat it. So we can't forget, we do have to remember, not because we, we're, we're, we're failing to forgive and we have to release you know, bitterness and anger and stuff like that, but, but we, we also can't repeat the same things. 
But the other reason I tell you that is, this is kind of where I want to go today, is what's true when it comes to history is true when it comes to faith, isn't it? I mean, I'm pretty sure that if you went back, if you get in a time capsule and go back 2,000 years to a room in Jerusalem to, to some people who just a few days ago watched their leader, Jesus, get executed on a cross by being nailing there, uh, nailed there, and then, then somebody took a, a spear and shoved it up through his ribcage and through his heart to make sure that he was really dead, and then they stuck him in a, in a tomb, all right? But now, like three or four days after that event, Jesus had not only come back to life, but he's actually sitting at the table eating dinner with them. And if you would have looked across the table and says, do you, do you think that maybe 2,000 years from now, people will think you made this whole thing up? Do you think that, that people will accuse you of this as a conspiracy theory so you can get rich and famous? I'm pretty sure they would have looked back at you and said, are, are you kidding me? I mean, the last few weeks and, and months are so crazy, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, and by the way, look at him. He's right there. It's Jesus eating potatoes. He's right there, all right? I mean, I can see him. I can touch him. How could somebody not believe that this actually happened? I mean, if you're going to start a new religion to kind of deceive the world, this is a crazy way to do it, right? And for the record, none of the people who wrote the Bible, especially the Jesus parts, got rich off of it or famous, well, until after they were dead, and that didn't really help. Most of them were executed because they wouldn't take it back. Take back what you said about Jesus, what you heard him say, what you saw him do, especially that rise from the dead part. Take it back. See, everything about Jesus, everything about Christianity rests not on what Jesus taught. He taught some great things, but there were a lot of great teachers in the world at that time. Lots of people were saying good things. So no, everything about Jesus rests on one thing. He backed up everything he said, not just by dying on a cross. Lots of people died for good causes on crosses. They're called martyrs. That's not Jesus. Jesus died on a cross for a good cause, but here's the thing is, then he rose from the dead, and that puts him in a different category. Even Jesus said his resurrection and his resurrection alone will be the only thing that sets him apart from all the other good teachers of history, prove, to be, prove him to be who he said he really was. His resurrection would prove, I'm the one and only son of God who can reconnect you back to God, and my resurrection is the, the only reason anybody should pay attention to me, let alone follow me. So, so the, the people who started this whole Jesus church thing and were executed for it, all they would have had to do is go free. To go free was to look back at the judge or, or the officials and say, I made it up. It, it never happened. It's a lie. But, but they didn't. They believed it because they saw it with their own eyes. So here's the thing is, why now, 2,000 years later, do so many of us, even in this room right now, have questions in our hearts and minds about, did it happen? Is it true? And why should I believe why, why do we have those questions? And the answer is the same as every other category of history. Because given enough time and given enough space, what once was accepted as true and obvious and undeniable, is now questioned as, how do we even know it happened? So what do we do 2,000 years later after it happened, supposedly? What do we do? How do we find the answers to those questions? And the answer is the same to, to digging into anything that happened a long time ago. We're going to excavate. And here's what I mean by that. If you were to go to any museum, I, I think pro probably in the world, and look at the displays and the artifacts and the bones and the dinosaurs and the buildings and the ancient writings, how they came to end up in a museum pretty much always follows the same path. I mean, occasionally somebody was like out mowing their yard and tripped over something and it was a dinosaur, all right? It's like, oh, well, look at that, you know? And usually that's like after an earthquake or something, kind of turn some stuff up. But, but more typically, the way that deep, buried, hidden truths and, and artifacts were discovered is that somebody excavated they got a pick and they got a hammer and they got a shovel, maybe some dynamite, and they started digging away level after level, layer after layer of dirt and debris that had accumulated and buried that article. And then once all that stuff had been swept away, then the article is studied by the guy that's looking for it. And he studies it until finally he can look at it and go, oh, that's what it is. Oh, that's what was happening. That's what was going on. That's the truth. 
And that happens in, in every part of our life. I mean, you could get on an airplane and go to Cairo, Egypt today, and you could walk around modern-day Cairo and go, oh, I understand Egypt, but you don't. In order to really understand Egypt and how it became to be, you have to go like way back, like to the pyramids, right? Better yet, it'd be great if you could go inside of them or, or maybe underneath of them. And I love, I love all those Raiders of the Lost Ark movies and stuff like that. I really do. But the truth is, if you really do want to understand the Mayans or the, the ancient Greeks or the ancient Romans, you have to dig. They're, everything is covered up. You have to get, dig away years and years of stuff to get the stuff out of the way so you can finally kind of arrive at, oh, that's what it looks like. Now, if that's true with everything else in the world, doesn't it make sense to say it's the same with Jesus? It's the same with Christianity? I mean, I would love to stand up here this morning and, and say, this is exactly the kind of church Jesus went to. Really, I mean, if you go back 2,000 years, that, that, that's what happened. Is that, you know, Mary and Joseph, they loaded little Jesus up on the camel and they fought the camel parking lot. It was crazy. And the shepherds were flipping people off. They're like, oh, get out of my way. I want that parking space, right? And then, 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 then Mary and Joseph would, would drop Jesus off at the kids' area of the temple on the uncrowded service to make room for everybody. Anyway, but anyway... <laughs> Right, right? And then they would rush in here to hear a jamming Jewish harp solo of top 40 songs or something like that. I would love to say that's true, but it's probably not true. I'm pretty sure that the methods of the very first church and the methods of today are, are really different. And that's not really a big deal as long as the message is, hasn't changed. See, the only thing that really matters is, is the message. Jesus didn't have very much to say about how to do church when it comes to method or style or, or even volume. As much as he had to say about what church was supposed to be about, what the message was to be and could never change. Some stuff about church will change, can change, and ought to change, but not the message. And the question I want to look at starting today is, has it? Has the message changed and got buried under some stuff? Are, are we still being true to the same message as, as 12 guys that used to sit around a campfire and Jesus would say, this is the way God is? Are we still close to that? You know, well, the very first people that started the very first churches, are, are we saying and hearing the same things that they heard and said? I want, I want to figure out if we're doing that. So here's what I want to do between now and, and Christmas. I want us to do some excavating. I want us to tackle some of the really big questions, all right? I, I want to dig away, maybe even blow up some of our preconceived notions, not, not so much about Jesus, but about a religion and, and church and even, even a flat irons and ask our questions, is that right or is that wrong? And who decides? And the way I want to do it, and Scott, I've been hitting at this all, all summer long, is I want to use one book of the Bible. I want to use the book of Romans as kind of like the primary dig site for our excavation. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, I mean this. First of all, we are not going to do a verse-by-verse -verse study all the way through the book of Romans, all right? Um, I'm ADD. I just can't do that much, all right? But anyway, um, we tried that a few, a few months ago, or a few years ago. We did a, every verse in the book of Song of Solomon, which is God's plan for dating and marriage and sexuality and stuff like that. It's the one sermon you guys took to heart and went home and applied, thus our nursery problem, all right? So uh, <laughs> just stop reading that part, all right? So um, I know one preacher tried to study through the book of Romans every verse, it took him six years. And again, I'm on meds and I just, I just can't do that, all right? But I do want to dig way down into Romans and I want to look at some major parts and themes. So well, why, why that book of the Bible? Well, some people call Romans like the best book of the Bible, but I wouldn't say that. I would say it's definitely the best, most concise explanation of what Christianity is and what it's based on and how it started, what it means, right? How it's progressed over the years. And even the writer was able to look into the future and say, now some things are going to change, but here's some stuff that can't change. The second reason I, I picked the book of Romans to kind of use this as kind of the, our, our base of study is this. Romans is the reason why everybody here is not Catholic. Now take a breath, all right? Here's what I mean by that. 
About half, nobody believes this when I tell them. They ask me all this all the time in the lobby, but about half of you grew up Catholic or connected to Catholicism, all right? And some of you don't believe that, but I'll just prove it by show of hands. If you grew up Catholic or connected to the Catholics in some way, raise your hand. Look around. There you go. Okay, now kneel down. Now get up. That wasn't very nice. Now feel guilty. There you go. All right, so. I'm, if you want to write me a letter, I'll read that. And I deserve it. I deserve it, all right? Now, let me just go back to that, okay? Because a lot of us are going, are Catholics, what, what is all that? What is all that stuff, all right? Let me go back a few hundred years, all right? If you go back several hundred years, um, most people didn't read and write. The only people that read or were able to write, uh, you know, a thousand years ago were, were, were rich people, all right? Or religious leaders. And so the only people that could read the Bible were religious Leaders, And so if we all went to mass or all went to church or something like that, none of us knew how to read. So the priest or whoever would stand up here and go, this is what God says. And we go, okay, all right, which worked a lot of the time. But every once in a while, he just kind of put his own stuff in there. All right. And so finally, after several hundred years of that going on, there's this one German priest named Martin Luther who actually read the Bible for himself, which is dangerous to do. All right. And when he got to the book of Romans, some light bulbs started kind of going on for him. And he realized that a lot of stuff that he'd been taught all of his life just wasn't true. It wasn't in the Bible. And here's some of the big ones. Like, 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 like he, he read the Bible and said, you know what? The Pope is a really nice guy, loves Jesus, I'm sure. He's a very, very, very great guy, but, but he's not divine. He's saved just like everybody else by grace through faith, all right? He, he said this, right? you can't buy forgiveness with money. You can't buy your way into heaven or, your, or you know, go f- kill Muslims in the Holy Land and go, get time off of hell. You can't do that. The only way that you connect to God is through Jesus. And here's a really kind of a tender spot for him as he's reading the Bible. He, he asks this question. Who decided that a priest can't get married or that nuns can't get married? That's not in the Bible. So here's what he did. He wrote it all down and he went public with it. He actually nailed it to the front door of the church and that didn't go well, all right? And uh, they kicked him out, said, you're not part of us anymore and, and you're going to hell. And that started what's called the Protestant Revolution. The church split in two. Those who followed the Pope in Rome and those who didn't. And the result was Europe went to war for a long time and Martin Luther got married to a German nun. And the reason he married her, he said, is because she brewed a great batch of beer. I just love that, all right? That's just, uh, that's just, just that's true. Uh, it's, it's funny is that, that Scott calls Martin Luther the original 40-year-old virgin. I love that, all right? So uh, anyway, uh, here's the thing is, the, the question is, whether you're Catholic or Protestant or whatever it is, who's right and who's wrong? And who decides? And how do you find that answer? And the answer is, you have to do some excavating. We're going to try to dig in and, and sweep away all the layers of weird religious stuff that have crept in over the years. And, and our goal is to try to get back to, oh, that's what Jesus meant. Or, oh, that's what Jesus ha- had in mind. And that's what he wanted. And that's what it looked like. And then we have to ask a follow-up question is, are we close to that? Are we even in the ballpark of that? Or, or have we drifted and evolved into something very different than what Jesus had in mind? Again, not necessarily by how, with guitars and lights and stuff like that, but in what we are doing. So between now and Christmas, and we're gonna break this up into several different little series, but here's what we're gonna try to uncover. Some of the big questions that you've asked me over the years that are found in the book of Romans, like, like this one. Um, how and why did the world get so screwed up? And why, got, why doesn't God just fix it? Ever ask God that? Just make it Stop. Or how about this? Why, why does bad stuff happen to good people and good stuff happen to bad people? Because that's not fair. How about this? Well, why, does the, why does it seem like the whole Bible is about Israel and, and the Jews? And here's a really controversial one. And why is the whole world still obsessed with Israel? 
seems like half the world hates Israel and half the world loves Israel. Which one should we, what side should we be on? Or does it matter? We're going to look at that. How did Christianity even get started? What's the difference? Or is there any difference between us and Catholics or any other religion? And then I drive down the street and I see all these church signs with these words on them. I don't know what they mean. Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Christian, Pentecostal, Charismatic. Then I tell people where I go to church, Flatirons. They go, what kind is that? And we go like, I don't know. (laughs) Loud. That's all I know. All right. (laughs) If someone asks you to put into words, could you explain what you believe and why you believe it? And what matters in what you believe and what really doesn't matter? I mean, what's most important and what is like, it doesn't really matter what you believe about that. Here's ago, and I've been asked this pretty much all my life. It goes like this. Well, all right, so what if, what if you live and die on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean or you're a little kid in China and you die and no one ever tells you about Jesus? Do you automatically go to hell? Because that doesn't seem fair or right. You ever had that question? It's a great question. And we're going to get to it. Now, a couple of things, a couple of ground rules as we approach this over the next several months. Because I'll be honest with you, this is probably the biggest like teaching challenge that I've ever tried to bite off, all right? First of all, I want to say this. There are thousands of more questions that this study is going to bring up in your head and in your heart. And I won't be able to answer them all. Either because I, I just don't have time or I just, I'm just not that smart, all right? I don't know. Let's ask Jesus when we see him, all right? So there's that. Now, having said that, Here's, I want to tell you two things. First of all, each week as we study through a little part of this book of Romans, if, if something comes up, if, if this teaching raises a question and you're sitting there going, I don't understand that, I don't get that, that doesn't make sense. We've set up an email address and it's very simple, questions at flatironschurch.com, all right, where you can submit your questions about that teaching. Don't go off on the whole world, all right, but about that. And we'll try to work that into the next couple weeks of teaching. And I won't be able to get to all of them, but if you'll give me some feedback and we make this a little more interactive, I'll try to get to some of the more widespread questions. I'll do my best. Now, having said that, I have to say something else. Without apology, there's gonna come a time in the next couple weeks or months where you're gonna have to take a step Maybe even a, a giant leap of faith. You will. I'm just telling you up front. See, that's just true when it comes to God. It's also true when it comes to science. It's also true when it comes to people and relationships and trying to be a parent and trying to, to, to be, a, be a friend. It's, it's, it's true about everything. Whether you're Stephen Hawking or Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, logic and historical evidence and, and personal experience can take you only so far. And then you'll come to a blank and you'll have to fill that in with something. A hypothesis or a, I don't know, but, and here's what you'll fill it in with. But I believe whatever follows that's called faith. Does that make sense? Now, now here's the thing. is to make it even more interesting or weirder or just more challenging. Jesus said this. He actually was listening to some people, because he can do that because he's Jesus, all right? But he heard some people having an argument about him. The same argument that you have in your own head right now, but sometimes a lot of us, is, is Jesus real or is he fake? Is this thing true? Did somebody just make it up, all right? And Jesus is listening to them argue about this. Look at this, John chapter six, verse 42. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? In other words, listen, we know Jesus. We all grew up in the same town. Our kids played soccer together. His team always won, go figure. But anyway, all right, so, so but, but he, he's a nice guy. You know, we've known him for a long time. We know his parents. And stuff. But by the way, his dad's name is Joseph, not God, all right? So, so who does he think he can say all this stuff? And Jesus has listened to this, this conversation going on. And he said to them the same thing that I think he would say to us. Look at the next verse. Stop grumbling among yourselves. How about that? 
Stop using Jesus to beat people up. Stop fighting over Jesus. Jesus is supposed to bring us together and yet somehow you guys are just beating each other up in the name of Jesus. Jesus answered and said this, no one, listen, this is great, look, no one can come to me, no one can believe in me and who I am, right, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus said, no, you, you don't even believe that I am who I am unless my father tells you that. It's written in the prophets. This is really important, all right? They, and they is us, by the way, they will all be taught by who? By God, not by Jim, not by Scott, all right? By God. Everyone who listens to the father, God, learns from him, comes to me. You know, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying this, and this is just true, all right? There will come a point, maybe later today, Maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe a year from now, where you're going to be wrestling in your mind through what you believe. You're going to kind of come to a a question, a kind of a fill in the blank, and human argument can't touch that fill in the blank. Only God will be able to. You'll have questions, and the only person that can answer for you or answer you and give you peace about that answer is God himself, especially when it comes to, now, who is Jesus, and can I trust him? God will do that for you. I can't. The other thing I want to lay out there is this. I'm going to be really honest with you. If you're sitting here going, this sounds like the next four months is going to be like a history lesson. And when I got out of high school, I'm like, that's over. Then I got out of college and went, never again. And now you just said basically for the next, from now till Christmas, it's going to be, we're going to be talking about stuff that happened a long time ago that doesn't have anything to do with my life and what I'm facing this Tuesday. I make you a promise, all right? Every week, there will be a personal application for you. That if you're willing to apply it, and that's a big if, you have to work that out with God, but if you're willing to apply it to your own life, it'll make a difference in your world today. Now, I'm gonna give you one quick example of that, then we'll sing two songs, we'll get out of here, we'll come back in next week and start digging. But I, I wanna look really quick at the guy who wrote the book of Romans. His name was, anybody know? Paul, a guy named Paul, right? Now, here's the thing is, other than Jesus himself, we quote Paul more than any other person in the Bible. Why? Who's Paul and who qualifies him to write big chunks of the Bible, all right? Well, let's look at Paul real quick. Romans chapter one, verse one. Here we go. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So as, as Paul writes a letter to some people who live in a city called Rome, there, see, Romans, Rome, oh, it's coming together for me right now, right? And we'll talk more about them later. He does what letter writers did back then. When you write a letter today or type a letter or something like that, you sign your name at the bottom of it, right? Most of us do. But back 2,000 years ago, you signed the top of it. So, hey, this is who I am and this is kind of my credentials. And you can decide if you want to read the rest of it or just throw it away, all right? But, but so let me just tell you who's writing this letter. So Paul kind of introduces himself. And this is how he introduces himself. He says, first of all, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't lay out his resume of, of now here's all my qualifications and I'm a religious expert and I know I have all the questions about God that you might have. I can answer all those for you. I'm the smartest man in the world. No. He doesn't claim to be anything special. He actually calls himself a servant. Literally, the word is a slave, Enslaved by definition is someone whose entire purpose in their life is to serve the will of somebody else. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm just trying to serve him. He also says that he is, look at this, called to be an apostle. Let me explain that. That that word called can mean I was saved for this. This is why I was saved. And here's the thing is, that sounds religious, but some of you have felt that. What do you mean? Some of you have had like a near-death experience or a car, car wreck, you survived it, cancer, you survived it, whatever that was, and you should be dead. And after you're not dead, you kind of looked around and went, there, got, there has to be a reason I'm still here. 
That's what, that's what maybe he's saying. I was, I, I was saved for this reason, all right? It can also mean this, is that, is that what Jesus was talking about is that nobody comes to Jesus unless fa- the Father God draws him. So Paul could be saying is this, God's been pulling on me for a long time. And again, some of us have felt that. God kind of tapping us on the shoulder and pulling us. He said, God was pulling on me and, and I responded. I said, yes, and now I'm an apostle. And that word apostle is just Bible language for I'm a messenger or, or maybe another word would be I'm an ambassador, like an ambassador to another country, doesn't speak on his or her own, but on the country that sent them. I'm an ambassador for God. And I'm telling you some stuff God wants you to hear. And what's that? The gospel of God. What's that mean? It means this. You live in a world that's really crazy and jacked up and planes fly into buildings and people get cancer and cars cross over the road and people don't keep their marriage vows and stuff like that. You live in a really crazy world. And in this really crazy world, God has a message for you that's really, really good. That's the gospel of God. He says, I want you to listen to this and maybe you'll respond the way I did. Now, before you think Paul's just setting you up, you know, just kind of being pious, I'm just a servant of the Lord, spreading the word of Jesus, you know, all right? When really he's thinking, I'm, a religious and you're, I'm religious and you're bad people and you need to stop it. I want to skip over to another letter that Paul wrote to some people who live in another city called Corinth. He goes into a little more detail about who he thinks he is and who he knows that he is and he also knows that he's not. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, follow along on the screens here. Look at this. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So I I was with you you a few weeks ago and I told you about Jesus, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. I told you about Jesus and you're basing your life on what I taught you. By by this gospel, you're saved. You're reconnected back to God if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So in other words, your your life's going to get really, really crazy. Don't let go of what you know about Jesus. Verse 3, for what I received... From Jesus, I I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's what I taught you. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried in in a tomb. That he was raised on the third day. That's important. According to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter. And then to the 12. I'll explain all this in a second. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. Some have died. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. As to one, look at this, abnormally born. I'll explain that. So Paul's writing a letter back to these people because he can't you know, jump on an airplane and go there or something like that. So he says, let me, let me just remind you of what I taught you, right? That Jesus died to pay for our sins. You put your faith in him, your sins are forgiven. He was buried, all right? But then God raised him back to life on the third day. And then, don't just take my word for it. I mean, Jesus appeared to a lot of people after he came back to life. Like who? Like the 12 original apostles, including Peter, that just a few days before this had denied that he even knew Jesus. Like this guy named Matthias who replaced Judas. Judas was the guy who betrayed Jesus and sold him out. Says he'll be up there in the garden. That's where you can go arrest him. Then he felt guilty about it. So he went and committed suicide. Matthias actually took his place. Then then he he appeared to hundreds and hundreds of other people live and in the flesh. Then he appeared to James. And James is the half brother of Jesus. Joseph and Mary went on and had other kids. James was one of them. And he was the very first pastor. He used to do in Jerusalem what I do here at Flatirons, the very first church ever in Jerusalem. And then last of all, Paul says this, then Jesus appeared to me. I love how he says this, as to one abnormally born. What's that mean? It means this, all right? And this is his history, but it'll have an application in a minute. See, the the qualifications to be one of the, like, original 12 apostles was this. You had to have been with Jesus from the beginning, from the time that he was baptized, hung out with him for most of those three years. You, you had to personally kind of sat under his teaching and seen him pr- perform those miracles. You had to see with your own eyes, see him crucified. You had to see him buried in a tomb and you had to see him and touch him resurrected. You couldn't be, just believe it, all right? You couldn't say, you know, I was out of town, but then I got home, my brother told me and I believe. No, no, no. You had to be one of those guys that said, no, I was there. 
I saw him with my own eyes. I touched him. And none of that applies to Paul. None of it. He didn't do any of that. See, look at this next verse, verse 9. He says this, for I am I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve. And if you have your, your, own, your paper or your Bible, uh, circle that word deserve because it's important there. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, let me explain what that means. Some of you know the story, but let me give you that real quick version of it, all right? See, before they were called apostles, they were just called followers, 12 fishermen and, you know, uh, just business guys and stuff like that who, who, who Jesus said, do you want to follow me? And they said yes, and they left their business and they followed Jesus. They tried to figure out what he was talking about, God loving us and things like that. But as they were trying to follow Jesus, Paul, same age, he was in secret meetings trying to figure out how to have Jesus killed to get him out of the picture. When Jesus was eventually crucified, Paul was there. But he wasn't crying and he wasn't like, you know, worried about stuff. He wasn't praying, stuff like that. No, he was one of the ones spitting on Jesus, mocking Jesus. He was one of the ones in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He was there. When Peter and the others, after Jesus came back to life, were trying to spread the message of Jesus, God doesn't hate us, he loves us, and he sent Jesus to us. If you put your faith in him, all your sins will be forgiven. While that's going on, Paul actually went to the government and got permission to travel all over the country with a gang of hitmen so that he found any, if he found anybody who, who was talking about Jesus or believing in Jesus, he would have them and their families imprisoned or even killed. As a matter of fact, the very first mention of Paul in the Bible, his name at that time is actually Saul. We'll, we'll get into this later, but he actually, once he became a Christian, a lot of the Christians wouldn't forgive him for killing all their relatives, so he went into witness protection for like three years, changed his name from Saul to Paul, then he came back from Egypt, and still he... he People try to kill him all, all of his life, but, but that's another story. But anyway, the first time we ever hear of Paul in the Bible, he's at the scene of a hate crime, as vicious as anything you've ever seen on the news. What's he doing? He's holding the coats of some men who've cornered a young teenage Christian boy named Stephen in an alley, and they're bashing his head in with rocks. And Paul says, let me hold your coats so you can throw better. That, that's a guy who wrote a third of the New Testament. So when Paul says, I, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle, he's not being humble, He's being truthful because he knows. He knows his past. He knows you want to talk about deserve. Here's what I deserve. I deserve to have God pay me back for all the pain and damage I've done to so many people. But instead of paying Paul back for all the wrong that he had done, instead of giving Paul what was fair, instead God gave Jesus to Paul and offered him not condemnation but grace, not punishment but forgiveness. I love how we say it around here. He gave Paul not fair. I, I need not fare from God, don't you? He changed Paul's heart and Paul's life. And not only that, but Jesus gave Paul a new mission and a new purpose for his life. Paul knows why his life is different. Not because he's a good man, but it's all because of grace. Look at this next verse. I love this. He says this. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Meaning this, I'm not who I used to be. Can a lot of us say the th same thing, all right? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's just read this together, uh, that, just that top line. Here we go, one, two, three. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I mean, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. I mean, it changed my life. No, I worked harder than all of them. Not, not yet I. It's not because I'm a good person. I worked hard to become a good person. No, no. But the grace of God that was with me or in me. So the way we approach the next few weeks and months of the book of Romans, it's kind of like Paul starting it like this. Hi, my name is Paul, and I'm about to write you a really long letter about the good news of Jesus. I want to talk to you about grace, about what God can do in a person's life. And you need to know, this isn't some theory, some hypothetical, you know, conjecture. This isn't a whole bunch of what ifs. No, no. This is, I, I'm living proof that God can change. God can use 
anybody, no matter what they've done or how many times they've done it, how horrible it is and where they've come from in their past. I, love, I heard somebody describe Paul this way one, day, one time. He, he smokes what he sells. I love that. He doesn't just talk about grace. Every day he gets up and leans his whole life against it. Now that's history, all right? All that happened 2,000 years ago. And tonight, today's just, just the introduction. So, so what, I made a promise. What's the application for us in, in this room today? And some of you have already jumped to it. But let me kind of spell it out, all right? There are a bunch of us in this room right now that if I were to say, get out a piece of paper and start writing down all the reasons why someone like you could never be used by God, you'd start filling up the page. Well, I've done so many things and I've hurt too many people and I've screwed up too many times. I've made too many mistakes. I've been addicted to too many things. I've been drunk so many times. I've, been, I've broken too many promises. I've given God so many reasons to be mad or sad or disappointed in me. We wouldn't just fill up line after line. We would fill up page after page after. Here's why I'm pretty sure that I'm disqualified from God, why he probably doesn't love me anymore and he can't use someone like me. And you can just write till you have writer's cramp. I just wanna say this, you're just wrong. You're just totally, you're just wrong. Because no matter how long your list of disqualifications is or how many pages it goes on and on, all you need is one word written on your page. And you know what it is? Grace. Because however long your list is, grace is bigger than your list. I'll give you a great example of this. So several years ago on Easter, all right, we were across the street, all right, and, and we were packed out and we maxed out the lobby and some of you remember all, all that. And, the, and it was Easter and, and I had a friend and she kept inviting her boyfriend to come to church and he'd say, no, I don't wanna go to church, all right? And he was a special ops soldier. I mean, he would, uh, he would say, hey, I have to leave. Where are you going? I can't tell you. And then he'd be gone for a month and he'd come back. Where were you? I can't tell you, all right? But you could tell that he, he was playing a lot of weird tapes in his head from stuff that he had been a part of and things like that. So she kind of, you know, I think probably she cried because that's what girls do. And finally he said, yeah, I'll go to church with you one time and it's Easter, but, but he just barely came to church. Meaning this is that he, he I, I'm sure that he thought that if he walked into church, the roof would fall in, there'd be, you know, lightning bolts and plagues would break out and stuff like that. So, so he, he walked in and sat in the back row as close to the door so that, you know, if lightning bolts, you know, he could run through the door, right? And other, but anyway, all right, so, so we're sitting on the back row and it's Easter. And, and that Easter, if some of you remember this, I decided to talk about David and Bathsheba on Easter because nothing screams Easter like adultery and murder, right? <laughs> it's a great story, all right? So, so anyway, so there's this guy named David and he has an affair with his neighbor Bathsheba, all right? And because he's peeping in her window and stuff like that. But anyway, so, so then she gets pregnant. He's like, oh no, what am I gonna do? So he brings his, her husband back from war, says sleep with your wife. Maybe they won't do the math and maybe they'll think it's yours, but he won't do that. And so, so he sends him back to the front line and has him killed. And then he has her move in and he thinks I got away with it. And then, then God sends this, 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 this prophet to him and says, hey, by the way, um, God knows everything that you just did. You're guilty. And David's response was, you're right, I did it. And God's response was, I forgive you. And the guy in the back row looked over at his girlfriend with tears going down his eyes and says, is that true? Does God do that? And she said, yeah, it's still true. So before you write off, you know, church or this book of Romans as some religious, you know, nut telling people about how bad they are and what they ought to do different, think about who wrote it. But Paul says this, if anybody wants to build a case about why I shouldn't be called a Christian or an apostle, I shouldn't even be allowed to go into your church, you would not have a hard time building a case against me. And a lot of us could say the same things about ourselves, couldn't we? Me too. All Paul can say is the same thing that anybody that chooses to say can say, and that's this. Yeah, I messed up, made a lot of mistakes in my life, but God offered me grace. He called me out of darkness into marvelous light. That's in the book of Romans. I accepted that grace and I got another chance at my life. That's the application. I'll throw one more application in for free, all right? It's extra, all right? Some of you right now are sitting in this room 
This is going to sound weird, and if it sounds weird to you, just don't believe it. But over the last few days and weeks and months, maybe years, you have felt God calling you. And that's religious language. You felt like God's whispering, God's tapping you on the shoulder, smacking you on the side of the head, something like that. He's trying to tell you something. You don't have it figured out yet at all. You're like, what? You know, you're trying to figure God out. Listen, all, the only application is pay attention to that. Pay attention to that because at the right time, God will explain himself. Paul says this, Jesus took me from being, and he called himself, I'm the worst sinner ever. He took me from that to, to writing you a letter whose message will hopefully have the same effect on you that Jesus had on me. I want to talk to you about the good news of Jesus, and it's the only thing I have to say that's worth listening to, so please read my letter carefully and dig deep. It could change your life. Let's pray. So God, uh, as we kind of launch into this new uh, season of, 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 of study of your word, of, of your son Jesus, I, I gotta be honest, I'm a little nervous, not because I don't believe it's true. I do believe it's true. I just, I just wanna make sure I handle it the right way because I just know that it's gonna bring up a lot of questions that I just am not smart enough to answer. But the truth is, God, at the deepest levels of our hearts, on the things that really, really, really matter, nobody needs some pastor to tell them what to do. We need to hear from you. There's some things going on in our life and our hearts that the only person that we'll trust is you. So will you teach us about your son Jesus? Will you help us to sweep away all the weird stuff that has buried and covered up the true message of Jesus and, 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 and what you are asking of us and what what you want for our lives because it, it got buried somewhere along the line. And God, we're not trying to poke fun of or slam any other belief system or religion stuff like that. We just wanna get back to what were you talking about, Jesus, and what does that mean for me today? And in order to do that, I'm gonna study hard, but God, we're depending on you to teach us as only you can. Teach us about yourself. Teach us about your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray, amen. Let's stand up. Let's sing two more songs.